Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey all you heroes and champions, crows, pirates, and inquisitors. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast. I'm Shelby. And I'm Austin. And we are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe. From the Maker to Lyrium to Aravels, we will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hey, Shelby. Hi, Austin. You ready to talk about some Dragon Age? I am so ready for our topic today, and I think that you might be a little bit more excited than me. Maybe a little bit. So today, we're actually, this city or country in our Country of Thetis um, series isn't really a country. um, True. But a bunch of little countries. And... Well, I, there's so much about it that we're actually going to do two episodes. So this is The Free Marches, part one. Yes. So we're talking about Kirkwall, uh, mainly Kirkwall today. Yes. Which is the setting of Dragon Age 2, my favorite game. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I say let's just dive right in and let's get on to The Free Marches. Okay. That sounds great. Um. So I just want to kind of start out by saying normally in this series so far, I've kind of started with here's a couple of like trivia facts about each country. Like this is the kind of um, political governance they have. This is um, who they're ruled by, that kind of stuff. But we can't really do that with the free marches um, because all of the cities or city states are different. Um for example, Kirkwall is ruled by a Viscount, but Starkhaven is not ruled by a Viscount. Starkhaven is ruled by the Vale family. Um, so and we'll talk about them next episode, but I use that example to kind of highlight how each city-state is different from the other, and it is really hard to generalize, um, especially when we talk about um, politics and ruling and that kind of nitty-gritty stuff. I think we can generalize a little bit about their culture uh, and just like general disposition but when talking about the specifics it's really hard to generalize all of um, the city-states that make up the free marches into just one thing so for that reason um, this episode is going to be structured a little bit differently than our previous episodes So let me talk about what a city-state is real quick. I think, at least in my experience, we talked about city-states in like seventh grade or ninth grade history, like um, briefly mentioning what that means. But if you don't remember that or you didn't have that lesson, um, a city-state is like its own country. Like it's, 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 it's ruled by itself but it's not the size of like the United States. It's the size of a city. It's just one city, but it's also its own country. So think of it kind of like Singapore or even Vatican City or even a little bit like Washington, D.C. Um, mm-hmm. So like I just said, this means that every city state in the free marches has its own style of government. It has its own ruling body. Um, they may even have their own religious beliefs. Um, 
but we'll get into all of those differences throughout this episode and the next episode. Um, I also usually like start every episode by talking about the ancient history and it's hard to kind of sum it all up because each city has its own history, right? Um, and of course there are some things we can say about the ancient history, but usually we spend a lot of time talking about that. I I feel like, I don't know what you think, but, um, I feel like we spend a lot of time talking about the ancient history because it frames our discussion. Um, but I don't think we're going to spend as much time talking about that in these episodes just because each city state is different. Right, right, right. So what we're going to do instead is talk about each city and its own history and its own culture, self, whatever. Um, and of course, we'll be talking about the major cities and the free marches. And we'll bring in a couple minor cities, at least the ones that leave a lasting impact. So some of these include Kirkwall, Starkhaven, Wycombe, Tannervale, and Ostwick, and maybe a few more. So, Austin, are you ready to jump into a little bit of the ancient history, or do you have anything you want to add about the free marches? Um, we have been, to, I just want to say, like, we have been to the free marches. Kirkwall is the setting of Dragon Age 2. Yeah. Um, but even though they are small city-states, that doesn't make them insignificant. Obviously, Kirkwall plays a huge role in the events of Dragon Age Inquisition. Um... And, you know, the Inquisitor, if it's a human noble, is from Ostwick. And I believe that Wycombe and Starkhaven are mentioned very often in the games. Yeah, Starkhaven is mentioned often and is the setting of um, at least one comic. There is, I think, a quest in Wycombe and there's another city called Hasmal, I think that there's a quest there in Inquisition, oh. both in Inquisition. Wycombe is the city that the Lavellan clan is yes. outside of. Yes, yes. So there's definitely that quest there. And then there, there is one in Hasmal. I'm almost 90% sure. And I think there might be one in Tantervale too. Um, I can't totally remember. But um, so yeah, things happen. And I also think it's important to say like, yeah, these are city-states, but that doesn't make them small cities. Like, Kirkwall's yeah. huge. Like, yes. Kirkwall is, I would say, equivalent to the size of Denerim. So, I mean, yeah, they're just cities on their own independent, but that doesn't make them small or insignificant in any way. Okay, so I know I just said we can't generalize about the ancient history but there are some important things, at least like framing the cities that we need to know. So first, the Free Marches pretty much in its entirety is first settled by the Planocene tribe. And we haven't talked about the Planocene tribe yet, but they're actually a really important tribe. We've talked about the four tribes that uh, make up the Taventer Imperium. We've talked about the Alamari and the Syrian so far. So that's six tribes. So the Planocene is now the seventh um, of the original like human tribes. So the Planocenes settled the Free Marches and Navarra. And they are like a farming tribe. And they have a really long written history that we like still have. And they are mentioned and appear in sections of the Chant of Light, specifically Threnody's Chapter 6. And I think that we talked about and read from Threnody's 5 in our very first episode. Um, so they're just mentioned one chapter later. Um, so as you can probably guess, um, because they're farmers, they're not warriors, they're not big fighters, they're conquered pretty easily. And of course, the ones that conquer them are Tevinter. Um, what was that? I said, of course. Yeah. So most of the cities that exist in the free marches today are either cities and villages that were established by the Planocene tribe or their settlements that Tevinter built when they conquered the Planocenes. 
or of course, you know, just 100% built by Tventer. So let's move forward a little bit. That Planocene era is like when humans first arrived on the continent of Thetis. Um, so if you skip forward a little bit, just before Mafrath and Andraste, um, the Tventer Imperium really held almost all of the free marches. Um, that was like their territory. So in minus 180 ancient, the Alamari led by Andraste and Mafarath, of course, they begin invading Tevinter. And they're from Ferelden. And as you know, you've played the games, Ferelden is south of the Free Marches. So it makes total sense that the first place that Andrasse and Mafrath would begin their assault into Tevinter would be in the Free Marches. All they have to do is cross that river, cross that sea, and they're there. So that's kind of what they do. Um, so as we know, in exchange for betraying Andraste, I know I'm skipping their whole war, but we've already covered it in multiple episodes. So as we know, in exchange for betraying Andraste, Mafarath was granted the lands of Southern Thetis, and that included the Free Marches. So Mafarath splits up all those lands between his children, but the Free Marches goes to his middle son, Evryon. But after Mafarath's treachery was exposed in minus 160 ancient by, of course, the repentant Archon Hesarian, Evryon dispersed his holdings of land between the various tribes and people groups and renounced his lineage. So because of that, the area, the free marches, never coalesced into a cohesive nation. The cities became free and independent, and much of the rest of the story of the Free Marches is this same cycle of invasion, conquest, rebellion, independence, and starting over again. It's hmm. interesting. I think the story of Evryon is really interesting because it goes against it goes against what you would expect of course but even more than that I think it goes against human nature mm -hmm. like it's not in human nature to give up your power um, well, it, to give up your land any of that right it's also a thing about I like this story because it gives kind of a broader picture of like the Andraste family um and I think he does this because of his father like what his father does to his mother um and so I think that he doesn't want this land because of the blood that is associated with him getting it absolutely I totally agree 100% um, yeah, so I really like Evryon, and I wish we knew a little bit more about him, just because, like, his reaction to his father murdering his mother is different from everyone else, from his siblings, oh, and I think that's significant. Yeah, because his, his second brother, he gets Orlay, right? No, I think it's the oldest, oldest sibling gets Orlay. And the next one, the second one, gets, like, Navara. And that's that's when the whole thing with Jashavis happens. They kind of, they team up. They right. team up. Um, right. And then they both die. And then Evryon, Evryon um, renounces his land and his, his lineage. And right. there's one more. I can't remember what happens. Uh, with with the other one, I think there may be two more even. But anyway, um, so yeah, Evryon is different. Well, it also it's very much like a, I know Bioware officially says that they don't base anything off Christianity, but really, who are we kidding? This is very like Cain and Abel kind of family situation in that not in like the betrayal of the brother of everything, but you know, 
the two oldest sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Cain, spoiler alert, kills Abel and then is banished. But it's through, like, Seth, the third child, that the people are continued and all through that. And so, like, it is the th here it is again. The third child is the one that continues to live on. Right. That's a really good comparison. I don't even mm. know if... I don't think Bioware was intending that. No, they probably were not. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's move forward a little bit. Um, in the years between the time of Mafrath and his children and Andraste, so in between that time and present day Thetis, there are lots, <laughs> lots of things that happen. Significant events... All kinds of stuff. And we'll get into all of that when we talk about each city. Um, so, like I said, we'll get into it. Uh, but first, I want to talk about free march culture, at least what we can kind of generalize. Unless you had anything else you wanted nope. to add, Austin. Okay. Okay, so there are a few things that make the free marches distinct from other parts of Thetis, at least culturally. Okay, so the free marches are the breadbasket of Thetis, and that leads to a huge amount of trade within the free marches and also as, as exports leaving the free marches. So that combined with the like really central location of the free marches uh, makes its people very culturally diverse especially for those city-states that are located on the shores, um, on the coast. And yet, many people who are born, raised, and still live in the free marches are extremely unwelcoming and even xenophobic towards newcomers. We especially see this in Dragon Age 2 in Kirkwall, um, which is very hostile to the Ferelden refugees and even very oftentimes is, uh, is hostile to Hawk. Do you have anything you wanted to add to that? Um, just a little bit about um, the just being hostile and like you see that a lot with Ferelden, but you also see that in what people say with Starkhaven, um, especially to Sebastian in Dragon Age 2. Can you say more? I don't really remember that. Just people talk about talking to him about Starkhaven, like in Kirkwall, like it's lesser than Kirkwall because it's not Kirkwall. Like each free, right. each city in the Free Marches thinks it's the best city in the Free Marches. Oh, of course. So that kind of leads me into my next um, point, which is the other thing that is culturally distinct to the Free Marches is the Grand Tourney. This is like Thetis's Olympics. It's the most celebrated event in the region. And the Grand Tourney is held once every 1,000 days in cities throughout the Free Marches. So participants from all over Thetis come to compete in this festival of skill to win the champion's crown. The winner of the tourney is awarded a crown of sage leaves and a blade named the Celebrant, which has been inscribed with the name of every champion since the very first tourney. Fun facts. Two fun facts. The first of which is that you can get Celebrant in Dragon Age 2. It is a great sword that you can acquire acquire in act three um and the second fun fact is we've actually met a winner of the melee of the grand tourney and that is uh tom rainier or blackwall won the melee of the grand tourney yeah and he does talk about that if you ask him about his story and i think that's when you find out like he talks about his mentor, the Chevalier, who, mm -hmm. like, not lets him win, but almost kind of lets him win and, like, offers to mentor him. And Blackwall or Tom is just kind of like, nah, I'm a winner. I don't need you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's interesting. But um, I also have a codex entry that I want to read. I always feel like I bring a codex entry. But this is... Um, 
about the grand tourney. This is what it says. The most important thing to know about the free marches is that we're free. We determine our own destiny and that pleases us. Beyond that, the only other time we coalesce is when the grand tourney comes to town. Then we boldly express our pride to any foreigner who will listen. We'll kiss freedom on the lips and even lock arms with a proud Stark Havener. Alas, it lasts only a day, but there's no harm in that, right? <laughs> yeah, so I think that's hilarious and totally typical of the free marches because they do value independence arguably more than Ferelden's do. Um, and they're, they are fiercely loyal to their cities. Like, it's kind of like college football. Yeah. Like, usually for, for most, I mean, we obviously are fans of the SEC, but like, if there's an SEC team going to the national championship, I'm going to cheer for the SEC team over anybody else, unless it's Alabama. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I digress. It's kind of like that. Like, yeah, you're going to support your own people. But then when it's over, you know, you're going to go back to cheering for your own team again. Right. Okay, so like right before we dig into each of these cities, um, I also want to note that the free marches have no central government. We've already said that. But also, none of the city-state's rulers are named king or queen. Um. And obviously that's to like say there is no king or queen of the free marches. Nobody's greater than the other. Um, but there is usually tension between the individual cities, especially during times of crisis. Um, but also during times of crisis, the most powerful merchants, generals, and even rulers of the free marches, they can convene and come together to deal with issues similar to the lands meet of Ferelden. So they do have that kind of like fail safe in case of like emergency, the worst thing ever, they can all kind of meet and figure out what to do. Now I'm just imagine Aveline sitting in a bunch of, in a room of a bunch of nobles just completely being done with every single person that's in there. That would be hilarious. I would be totally here for that. We should see that in a comic, please. <laughs> yes. Well, and Varric, too. And like. Oh, yeah, Varric would be there. Like, now he's the Viscount of Kirkwall. Right, right. But I could just see Aveline in her own thing and be like, Varric is the person I'm least annoyed with here. Right, which is, like, insane. <laughs> okay, so are you ready to talk about Kirkwall? Always. Okay, so I do have a couple fun facts. First, Kirkwall is ruled by a Viscount. And then my other fun fact is that Kirkwall was founded in minus 620 ancient. So it's pretty old. Um, and it was founded by a Taventer magister named Amarius Craven. Other names for Kirkwall are the City of Chains and named after its founder, just plain old Amarius. Um, so, Kirkwall is founded by Taventer. Kirkwall, um, as far as we know, was not necessarily a huge town before Taventer came over and invaded. Kirkwall founded this town, um, and it's very valuable because of its location. It's, it's a port. It's a very valuable port, um, but it's also a little bit protected um, as, as far as port cities go. So, Kirkwall is between Kirkwall and Starkhaven. Um, those are the two major population centers in the Free Marches. They're the two biggest cities, and we probably know the most about Kirkwall out of all Free March um, cities because it's the setting of Dragon Age 2. So, Kirkwall basically initiates all trade uh, between the Free Marches and Thetis. And so that's why it's so important, because it does all of that. Um, and now it's, you know, you're trading goods, you're trading food, 
all of that stuff. But when Kirkwall was founded, it was originally founded as a slave center. So originally they were trading people, human people. Um, so we'll get into that in, in just a minute. But in the early days of Kirkwall, before it became like a huge port city, it was mostly used for its natural resources. Um, Kirkwall has several quarries, which we can go to one of them, the Bone Pit. Um, and these quarries provided Minrathis with jet stone, which Minrathis really needed um, to build its temples. And I kind of think uh, Tevinter didn't take Kirkwall seriously, at least um, in terms of its natural resources, because it could have given Tevinter way more than just this one kind of stone, you know. Uh, but I think that that's very on brand for Tevinter. It's like, well, we need this one thing. This one place can give us this one thing. And we're going to be so, so focused on that. We're not going to pay attention to anything else that's happening around us. Um, so. Right. So after a huge slave rebellion in Minrathis and a failed assassination attempt on Archon Venarius by an elven slave, it was determined that a center for the slave trade needed to be established away from Minrathis, away from the capital, even away from the mainland, the heart of the Imperium. And because this new slave outpost would become very wealthy, a vicious competition began and raged for over two decades, resulting in the deaths of more than half the slaves in existence at the time, which, of course, Tevinter would use their slaves as cannon fodder. That's just par for the course. Um, so Amarius was finally chosen as the center of the slave trade after Magister Amarius Cravan's son married the Archon's daughter. So this fight, it really didn't even have a conclusion. It was just nepotism that Kirkwall was chosen as to be the center of the slave trade, um, which is really frustrating. Like, all those lives were spilled for, for no reason. Um, but anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. So at its height, Amaria slash Kirkwall was one of the mightiest imperial cities, definitely the strongest and mightiest imperial city outside uh, the mainland of Tevinter. And it had nearly one million slaves living and working in the city. It was often considered one of the worst places to live or be sent. And I do think we still get vestiges of this in the beginning of Dragon Age 2. Yeah. I mean, in Varric's narration, when you first get to Kirkwall in the little cutscene, it's like he notes it as the first thing that the champion and the Hawk family see is the gallows. It's the first thing that the everyone sees. Yeah, the giant statues of leftover from the Imperium slave. Yeah. And it's huge. It's it's defines the city forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely it does. Absolutely it does. So this kind of ties into my next point, which is about Kirkwall's coat of arms. So Kirkwall's coat of arms is a stylized, like not work uh, art of a dragon. And this coat of arms evolved from a symbol of rebellion that the slaves used back when Kirkwall was the center of the slave trade. Um, and this image kind of catalyzed the slaves to overthrow the ruling magisters. Um, and so, of course, this symbol have, has changed over the centuries, but its message has not. Kirkwall is a city unto itself, beholden to no one. Okay, so that's a lot about the ancient history, and I don't want to really talk about the modern history too much because we've played the modern history, right? Like, we, we know right. what happens with the Templars. We know what happens with the Red Lyrium, with Meredith, with all of this stuff. But there is one point I want to bring up, and that's magic in Kirkwall. Mm -hmm. um, 
And the mages of Kirkwall, as we know from the events of Dragon Age 2, are more troubled, have a more troubled history than any other circle. And honestly, this goes beyond the events of Dragon Age 2. Um, I have a little statistic from a codex entry called Speculations on Kirkwall. And this stat is that a greater percentage of mages in Kirkwall do not survive their harrowings and a greater percentage of them turn to blood magic. Almost double that amount of the mages in Starkhaven or Ostwick. These disturbing issues may be attributed to the fact that the veil is thin in Kirkwall, though some have also speculated that Corypheus's presence near the city might have been a factor. So, the... I have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot of thoughts, too. I've always kind of pushed aside this idea of like, okay, Kirk or Kirkwall is so impacted by Corypheus living under the, the city. But after I played that DLC for the first time, you asked me what I thought about it. Um, what I thought about Corypheus's like, and, and what impact, what lasting intentions he would have. And I know you asked me that question because you knew that he came back in Dragon Age Inquisition. But when I heard that question for the first time, my thought, and I think I may have even said this out loud, but I was, I was so focused on like that game and not even the third game that I was thinking about all the ways that Corypheus, this history of slavery, all of this this stuff, all the tragedy that happens in Kirkwall, how it's still impacting the city today. And so that's all I could think of. I had no, no clue about Dragon Age Inquisition because you told me not to Google it because of Solus. Um, yeah. Naturally. So that's what I was thinking of about how this city that has gone through so much trauma like it's literally built on trauma the trauma of slavery the injustice the oppression the needless deaths of all of these people these slaves that had lives that weren't valued by Tevinter and then you have Corypheus coming in and then you have all this trouble with the mages with Meredith with everything and it just creates this city where the trouble and the trauma and the violence seems unending so there are a lot of fan theories yes regarding this fact would you like me to dive into them i would love for you to okay the first one is the theory is that there, there are two reasons that people think the veil is thin in kirkwall the first one is they think that's where solace created the veil Oh, interesting. I tend to not believe that because I think, like, magically, where the point of focus where you create the veil, I feel like, would be where it is strongest. You know? Yeah, or, like, why wouldn't he do that in a place that had meaning for him? Right, right. But, we, I mean, we don't know. We don't know what elven history is attached to, Kirk, to the Free Marches. I mean, true, but why would he choose the free marches, which seems so random, over, like, Arlathan? Right. Um, there's another theory that Kirkwall is where the Magisters entered the veil, entered the faith. Yeah, I've heard that one before. Um, which I think is probably a good reason they weakened, either the veil was already weakened there, or they used magic to weaken it themselves. Um... Right. But I think that... Let's talk a little bit about what, what we know about spirits. Mm-hmm. So, from what we know from the Chantry, and a little bit about Solace, is that spirits long to be in the material world, or in our world. Like, they want to be in here. But they can't. Is it that they want to be here or that they're drawn here by the intensity of human emotions? That is kind of up to there. So as we know, spirits and demons embody an emotion or a virtue. Right. So like you have pride demons or a spirit of wisdom. That's who we meet with Solus in his quest. 
or Cole is a spirit of compassion or what is Wynn's spirit do you remember hope no no not hope um I it might be compassion or mercy um but and you know the theory that the one that that basically looks like divine justinia is the spirit of hope they embody these emotions so they're drawn to places where this needs to happen and like it's part of the reason that justice i think justice and anders get scented together because anders has such a overwhelmingly desire for justice for mages whether that's justified or what he does is a different story but he does have this desire for justice um true and so I think that Kirkwall being the center of this slave trade, I think that the oppression, the suffering, all that attracts these demons of suffering, of despair, of fear, of you know, if pride or desire, all these things are attracted to Kirkwall because it's such a high history of that. And we all know, like, whether what you believe or not, like, traumas leave lasting effects, whether that's on a people or on a person or even on a land. Like, if you look at places where nuclear explosions or the atomic bombs have Mm -hmm. been dropped, like, those lands still bear the marks of those trauma. And even to bring it into Dragon Age a little bit, in Thetis, the trauma of the blight leaves a lasting mm-hmm. impact on the land, especially in the Anderfells, which we'll talk about eventually. But, like, this isn't just a, a human um, thing on Earth, like in our world. It also literally happens in Thetis, too. Right. And so traumatic events leave their lasting mark. And you are... you. The worst decision that the Kirkwall Circle could have made is to use the gallows as their site for the circle. Because it's such a place that carries all this trauma. And I I would not be surprised if you did any testing and you realize that the veil is nearly non-existent in the gallows. Well, honestly, it makes me wonder if that was done intentionally and on purpose um, so that the Templars could then say, oh, well, look at you. You're messing with spirits or whatever. You're being tempted by the veil. So we just have to make you tranquil now because you're too much of a threat. And then because the veil is thin or non-existent in the gallows, they would then have the opportunity to do that more often because of the setting. And so, you know, like, if things are presented to you, you're more likely to be tempted by them. Which is why, like, I think it's more telling. Like, of course, Obsino turns to blood magic. Like, he's influenced by this, too, no matter how, like, he holds out against it. I think that eventually every mage in Kirkwall, maybe not, but would turn to some type of blood magic. I mean, we meet so many who do. Yeah. And so many who just do it because out of this desperation that... They have no other option. And, like, you know how there's the theory in Harry Potter that the Dursleys are so terrible because Harry is a horcrux? Right. How much of the Templars are influenced by this trauma as well? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's such a mess, and it's so systemic, and, like, every part of it is connected to every other part of it. So how do you even begin to untangle that? Right, right, right. All right, do you have any other thoughts on Kirkwall or the magic in Kirkwall? I just think it's sad. I just think it's a sad mm-hmm. situation. Um, yes. And then, of course, you know, the end of Dragon Age 2 makes all of it worse. You know, Meredith is literally, literally made into like a Red Lyrium statue in the gallows. Mm-hmm. Like that, that is not going to help any part of this situation. Right. So let's take our break and go into our middle of the show, and then we'll come back and talk about our character, and that'll be it for this episode. And we'll talk about Ostwick. Oh, yeah. I forgot about Ostwick. Um, All right. Well, let's go. 
All right. So welcome to the middle of the show where um, we just kind of tell you, if you want to find us, you'll find us on Twitter at Dragon Age Lorecast. Uh, you can join the Robots Radio Discord, which is in the description below. We're on there as Teacup92 and SheCup94. We have a Dragon Age channel. If you want to come in there and hang out and if you're playing through the game, share us your playthroughs or tell us things that you recently learned in the game. We love all of that. It's a great way to stay connected and get involved. Um, if you want to support the show, the best way to do that right now is to go into Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Um, if you really like the things we do here, just give us uh, five stars and leave us a review and we'll read it out on the show. Um, if you do have questions or comments or things that you want us to be aware of, you can always email us or reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, our email is uh, dalorecast at gmail.com. So yeah, um, Shelby, do you have a review to read for us today? I think so. Have we read Seth A993s yet? I do not believe so. Okay, so yeah, I do have one. Um, and this is, uh, we got this one recently. And so this one is from Seth A993. So Seth says that we are fun and informative. And he also says this. Listening to the podcast, you can tell the hosts both love Dragon Age and know all about the lore. It's been a while since I've played any Dragon Age, and when I did play, I didn't really go through the codex. But hearing more about the lore has me wanting to play the games again and dive into that codex. P.S. Swooping is indeed bad. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, thank you, uh, Seth. Uh, and just that's a great point, I think, that one of the things that this lore cast in doing this has enhanced my playthrough of the game because I have a better understanding of what is going on. Yeah, in the world definitely. Me. Um, and I can, it allows me to create more distinct characters in the playthrough because I can really think about, okay, well, how would an elf react to this situation? Knowing their history and things like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, moving on from Kirkwall, let's talk about Ostwick for a few minutes. So Ostwick is a smaller city in the Free Marches, but I wanted to highlight it for a couple reasons. First, because it has a circle, and so that automatically means it has some significance, some standing, even if it is a smaller city. And secondly, Ostwick is where your Inquisitor is from if you're a human. Um, so the Trevelyans, I think is how you pronounce uh, their name. They're a noble family who lives in that area or whatever. Um, so if you're just a human archer or warrior, you're from the Trevelyan family. If you're a human mage, you're from the Trevelyan family and you were at the circle in Ostwick and were sent um, to the conclave. Um, so that makes it automatically important. Um, and we don't really know a lot about it, but I'll tell you what we do know. Um, first, it's ruled by a Terran, which is interesting um, because I don't think... I'm not sure, other than Ostwick, and then, of course, in Ferelden, Hyever, and Guarin are both ruled by Terrans, but I'm not sure if there's anywhere else in the Free Marches other than Ostwick um, that's ruled by a Terran. So I don't know if that makes it unique, or if they have a special connection to Ferelden, or if it's just a coincidence. Um, but I think that that's interesting. Where is Ostwick on the map, do you know? Um, that's a great question I think let me just look it up oh okay well this does make sense so it is in the southern part of the free marches it's really close to Brandel's Reach which mm. is an island off of Ferelden um, and it's it's north east of High Ever okay so it may be a connection to Ferelden. I'm not really sure. Yeah. Um, but anyways, and then my last point that I have to share about Ostwick is that Ostwick is also the Kunari's first landing point into the Free Marches. Um, so it's where they first start coming into um, the Free Marches, which is 
a pretty significant event in Theta's history. Yeah. So that's all I've got about Ostwick. Um, and then before we get into our characters and stuff, I just have one more thing to say. And that is that Navarra City, um, now the capital of Navarra, used to be part of the Free Marches. Um, obviously, it is, it is not anymore. Now it's an independent nation in its own right. Um, but Navarra and Navarra City, that whole area did used to be part of the Free Marches. So we'll go into Navarra City whenever we talk about Navarra. Right. Okay. So, Austin, do you want to talk about some of our notable people from the Free Marches? So, our notable ones, I'm just doing the ones from Kirkwall. So, Donick sure. Hendren, who is Aveline's husband, Grand Cal- Cleric Elthina, Gamlin, and Leandra Amel, Knight Commander Meredith, Grand Enchanter Orsino, Kane Real, uh, Samson, Viscount Dumar, Varric Tethris, and the Warden slash Hero of Ferelden, if you are a human mage origin. You are actually an Amel, so you are Hawk's cousin, if you are a human mage origin in Origins. Yeah, thanks. All right, you want to talk about our side character, Shelby? Yes, so our side character for today, I'm really excited to talk about him. Not because I have any affinity or like love for this character when I originally played the game, but anyway, we'll get into it. So our side character for today is Fainriel. And we, Austin and I both feel like Fainriel has a great potential to come back in Dragon Age 4. And for me, if I had to put money on it, that if, if, if I had to pick from all of the side characters throughout this game, not including party members, if I had to put money on one that would come back in DA4, it would be Fainreal. Because of the setting, because of right. Tevinter. Right. I think Fainreal and Fenris are two of the, the ones that are going to come back for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Fenris, though, is a party member. Right. Okay, so Fainriel. If you don't remember Fainriel, he has several quests in Dragon Age 2 and the different acts. We do meet him in Act 1, um, but he is a young teenage half-elf who has very strong, latent, magical talent. We meet him in Act 1 of Dragon Age 2 when his mother, Ariani, is seen begging the Templar Thrask for help. With Fainriel, of course. Fainriel has this immense magical talent. We don't really know what it is at the beginning. Um, and he doesn't want to go to the circle in Kirkwall, of course, understandably. And throughout this quest, the player can make a few different decisions that either help Fainriel or don't help Fainriel. Um, but a little bit more about him. When he was eight years old, he began to display magical abilities. He realized that he could just like will things to happen. Um, just by thinking about them. One winter day, he made a houseplant bloom just to cheer up Ariani. And of course, this frightened her a lot. And she refused to send her son to the Circle of Magi. Because as a Dalish elf, Ariani believed that she knew enough about magic to teach him how to hide and control his powers. And really, this is not that unusual. I don't feel like that's... Mm-hmm that out of the realm of possibility. Um, And it did work for a few years until it became apparent that Fainriel was not just an ordinary mage. I think that if he was just like a regular person, a regular old mage who was mediocre, average, whatever, this would have worked and he never would have been found out. But Fainriel is not an ordinary mage. He began having very strange dreams. And Ariani wasn't able to wake him up from these dreams. And even on rare occasions, Fainriel would just like blank out, like go comatose while awake. As if his mind was just not working, is not in this realm anymore. And in those instances, Fainriel could take up to an hour to return to full consciousness. So, 
when this started happening, his nightmares started becoming very severe. Demons even began whispering to him in his dreams. So Ariani, fearing for her son's life, of course, contacted Thrask, the Templar, for help, as she knew him to be sympathetic to mages. Fainriel, of course, saw this as a betrayal, fled, ran away, and that's where we come in. We see Ariani begging Thrask to help her, um, I think as you're leaving Meryl's house for the first time. Um, and that's when you get that quest. It's in Act 1. Um, so, Thainriel kind of wanders around for a while. He searches for his father, and then his father sends him to an ex-Templar, who is Samson, who's sympathetic um, to helping mages escape from the circle. Samson is an ex-Templar. He comes back in Dragon Age Inquisition as one of the villains. Um, eventually, Samson led him to somebody for help, but Fainriel was instead captured to be sold as a slave. And so this is where the quest leads us. Hawk saves Fainriel from the slavers. And then he expresses a desire to join the Dalish. And because of our quests with, um, with Flemeth, we've already met the Dalish Keeper. We've already been to the Dalish camp. So Hawk has the opportunity to say, um, you know, I know the Keeper. I could, I could help you, like, make contact there. Um, and and that's, that's kind of one option that you can take to help Fainriel. Um, and really Hawk want, or, and really Fainriel wants to go to the Dalish because he thinks that the Keeper could teach him to control his dreams and his magic. So if you send Fainriel to the Dalish, we do meet him later. His dreams are still persisting. And we learn that he is actually something called a Somniari or a dreamer. And this is an exceptional skill that makes him able to enter and change the Fade at will, even killing people within the Fade. As a dreamer, Thainriel would be extremely dangerous if he were to become an abomination. Hawk has to enter the Fade and confront Thainriel um, later in Act 2 or 3. I can't remember which one. Um, but that's part of the quest. And this quest to help Thainriel has several different endings that you can choose um, that have a direct effect on, on who he is. So the ideal outcome, in my mind, is a stable, not possessed Thainriel who is then sent to Tevinter to study more. Um, Thainriel can also become what's called a dream stalker, which makes him unstoppable, as Marathari says. Um, and that's basically when he's possessed by a demon. Or, Fainriel can be killed in the Fade, which turns him tranquil outside of the Fade. Or, I think you can just send him to the Circle, and none of this will happen. I think. He's still a Somniari. I don't know what happens to him. I think he does escape the circle when Anders does his whole thingamajig. Right. Um, I think. I'm not totally sure on that. But there are lots of different options um, for what can happen to Fainriel. Um, but what I want to spend our last couple minutes talking about is Fainriel's potential to come back to DA4 and if he has a connection to Solus. Right. I think that it's interesting, the connection to Solus a little bit, because... Solus also has sort of similar powers to Fainriel. Um, his ability to dream and walk. I mean, all mages dream in the Fade. Like, that's just how their powers work. Um, but Solus, the way Solus talks about his dreams is they're very vivid and he's walking there and he's experiencing memories. Um, so maybe, I mean, the way that... Marathari talks about a dreamer mm -hmm. very much gives me a thing about like they're very influential and you know the Dalish have this kind of healthy fear of Fenharel like he's like there's the statues turn away from the camp like 
he's not to be trusted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is its own thing. And so I think that potential of coming back, especially if you send him to Deventer. Um, because I do think as problematic as Deventer is, it is probably the best place for him to go. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I also think Tevinter, they would probably just know more about this. Yes. Than anywhere else. Uh, just because of their history as a majocracy. Right. And I think, um, I think if he is not possessed and sent to the circle, I think he would be made tranquil anyway because Meredith would just fear what he could do. If Meredith found out. Yes. Um, and so, you know, it is power. I mean, to kill someone in the, to manipulate the Fae is a pretty big deal as a mage. Um, yeah. We only really see it once as a player. If you're a Rift Mage, you can bring the Fae kind of into the world. Um, but that's really it. Right. That's true. Yeah. I, I just think... I, I feel like there's no way he can't come back. A, and I feel like... I feel like also to that Fainriel, who gets sent to Deventer, would be very likely to join Solus, since he is a half-elf. But at the same time, because he's half-human, he might not. Right. Um... And like, so I even think he could be a potential party member in DA4. Right. And Fainriel is not a malicious person. He doesn't want to hurt people. No, not at all. He so badly wants to do the opposite. Like, he's so afraid of hurting people. Um, and so I just think that with that involved here, I think you're right. There is a potential for him coming back. Though there is... A potential that Dragon Age 4 might even end up looking a lot different than the other games because the writing team has changed. That's true, too. And, like, we see that a little bit in the Mass Effect series. Um, so the lead writer in Mass Effect leaves after DA2. After DA2? Or, sorry, after uh, Mass Effect 2. Mm-hmm. And there's this whole plot line that is seemingly abandoned in... Mass Effect 2, or after Mass Effect 2, about what's going on. And I think that was right. because of this one person really had the concept for that nailed down. Um, but I think one thing about Dragon Age is a lot more collaborative as a writing team. Um, so I think even though, you know, David Gator isn't there anymore, I don't think his ideas would be unknown to the current writing team. Right, and plus there are still writers at Bioware, who have been there since the beginning. So, I don't know. I, I think, as a whole, Dragon Age does a really good job of not just letting plot lines fall off the face of the earth. Um, maybe minor ones, but not big ones. I, I think the, the biggest one I can think of is the architect. Right potential to just be around and him not being connected to Corypheus in Inquisition. But again, that's a DLC. So Right. Yeah. Um, but but back to Fainreel, did you have any any final thoughts about him? Um, I love the Fainreel quest. I've actually never uh, killed him and I've never let Me him, either. I've never <laughs> let him become possessed. Which I think yeah. is it's one of those things like there are certain things in the games that I've never done in a lot of games just because I can't be that evil. But Well, I thought I was going to do that this time around. Um, like, let him become possessed just because I wanted to see what happened. But I'm romancing Meryl, so I feel like that may not be the best decision. <laughs> you could just not take her. I know, but like when I romance somebody... I want to take them in my party. I know. So. That's why, that's why romancing the advisors is always a nice one. Because you can't. No, I hate romancing the advisors because can't. I can't take them with me. Right. 
It makes me so sad. And I didn't really like Josephine's romance. I'm sorry. I know that might be a little controversial, but whatever. Anyway, any last thoughts about the free marches, specifically Kirkwall? No, not for me. Me neither. I think we're good. All right. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Warcast. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. As always, you can find us on Twitter at DA Lorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, email them to us at DALorecast at gmail.com. The Dragon Age Lorecast is a part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club. You can join the Robots Radio Network Discord by clicking the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed our show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe and give us a review. See you next time. Hello, Vault Dwellers. Join me, Jackson, Sassy Lady Rover, Eric, and the creator, Maverick, as we take topics from the Fallout universe and discuss them with other diverse individuals. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcast. You can follow us on YouTube. You can also find us on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it using at FalloutRTD. You can send us an email using FalloutRTD at gmail.com. Join us. The conversation has already started.